0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Madigan and Patrick Martin. The Fast Break Podcast is a production of the Fast Break Newsletter, a wonderful little operation that you should check out. That's uconnfastbreak.beehive.com. Since the last time we spoke, the Huskies have simply continued their winning ways. They absolutely stomped Xavier and then gutted out some tough wins over Providence, St. John's on the road, in quotes, and then... Most recently beat Butler, uh, wire to wire by nine. Uh, They're number one in the country, third in Ken Palm, tops in the Big East by three, three and a half games. We have said a lot about how great this team is. I think the first thing that I'm just going to say is, you know, there were high expectations going into this season, thought it would be a good team, maybe even a really good team, but. I really have to say they—they're exceeding expectations. They're better than we thought. Continuing to raise the bar, just incredibly impressive stuff.
1: You know that meme? Uh it—it it came around some very politically driven times, but it's the—it's someone holding up a sign that says "My expe- expectations were low, but holy shit." I, essentially, it's the reverse of that. Like my expectations were high, but holy shit, <laughs> like I had no had no idea. They were going to take the world by storm like this. 35 and 4 in their last 367 days. It's absolutely absurd. And guys, boots on the ground. Um, I was at a wedding in Sarasota with a lot of college basketball fans, a lot of neutrals. Uh, UConn is hated. They are hated the entire area that I was watching the St. John's game with were actively rooting for St John's. And these are these are Kentucky people that hate Rick Patino. you know the, these are guys who have no idea who you know Joel Soriano is or don't give a shit about Carna or, or MSG. They just want to see Yukon lose. It has just been too much sustained dominance in the last year. Um, We've officially like hit the villain turn where everyone will be rooting for that next loss
2: i think we can you know maybe hash this out at length towards the end of the podcast but i think part of the reason why uconn has this like villain persona because um as someone who's not friends with a ton of college basketball neutrals which is maybe my new favorite term patrick i'll be i'll be stealing that um it happened so fast this this it really almost did happen overnight and You know, UConn was not a wagon uh, in this term last year at this time. I know uh, I think Gavin Keith kind of put together some stats. They were 16 and six, uh, which is good, but not great. They were not, you know, the surefire number one team in the country. They were not ranked number one at all last year.
1: They had righted Um, the ship, but like everyone was really nervous about like, well, which team is it? Like, right. Hands up. Not sure which one it is.
2: Yeah. I mean, that New Mexico State. Loss in the NCAA tournament feels like it was a billion years ago. You could tell me any amount of time. Um, it, it just feels so far in the past just because that national championship run was so dominant. And, you know, they lost a ton of players. They lost three NBA quality players. Um, and the freshman class this here was supposed to be phenomenal. It still is really good. But I thought the way that this team would be really good was those freshmen would come in, contribute right away and be studs. Like, Steph Castle is a stud, but I thought he'd be, you know, 20 points a game from the jump. Solo ball would be playing quality minutes, night in, night out. Jalen Stewart doing the same thing, you know, scoring, contributing, taking over games for stretches. That's not necessarily the case right now, and that's fine because that core of Alex Caraban, Tristan Newton, Donovan Klingin has really been, like, the nucleus for this team to be super dominant. And then Cam Spencer uh, kind of, I wouldn't say under the radar as a transfer but he was not a major target he wasn't even really in the transfer portal when transfer season season was in full swing and he's probably the best transfer in the country i, I saw a uh, a bpr comparison it was basically him and hunter dickinson at kansas neck and neck so when you hit on transfers like that and you are able to develop talent um with guys that are already here that's what makes this uh type of success relatively sustainable and you know Next year could be a different story. That's a bridge that Hurley and that staff is going to cross when they get there. But for now, like, I watched a little a little bit of Purdue last weekend. I don't know. I mean, I, I have a hard time finding a team that's better than UConn right now. And I still think there's room for this team to play better basketball, which is really, really scary if you're not a UConn fan.
0: Yeah, they absolutely have tons of upside. They haven't been fully healthy yet really all season. And still to this at this exact moment, are not there still kind of getting there, uh, but then especially as it relates to someone like Klingon, who is probably just starting to feel something close to one hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know, if you told me before last season, hey, we're talking about the the best two year stretch in UConn history starting right now, uh, that's what's happening, and that's that's what's kind of insane. It's kind of it was a throwaway line that I said before a rant about something else on the last podcast ranting about how appreciated certain players are or not and I and I just kind of said like we're looking at the best two-year stretch in program history potentially I think you know the significance of that and just the reality of that setting in is is uh you know we're just we're we're approaching mid-February we're at that point it's uh potentially a downhill run for UConn to win the Big East regular season uh outright again a thing that They have not done since 2006. They've won 11 in a row. They're a model of consistency. Two guys at 40% from three, and then now Klingon and Castle really lifting them to elite status defensively. Um, It's it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, it's a very common refrain, but, you know, I think just the message, you know, should be to savor it uh, because don't forget that around this time, five years ago, UConn is like 15 and seven uh, getting ready to face East Carolina at 9 p.m. on CBS on CBS sports. So I was bored. It's incredible
1: a week uh, recently and and pulled up like a UConn Tulsa highlight. And I think it was from 2014. And it was like
0: it it
1: was cool to watch like Rodney Purvis and Boatwright do their thing. and, And Terrence Samuel was playing well but like the spacing and just the execution. Um, I think I mentioned it before. Like I, one of the UC games that I had covered back then, the warmups were different as far as like the intensity and uh, Jason Benetti was, was highlighting that a lot yesterday saying like how drilled they were in the warmups. Um, they've taken almost like they've, they're they just this well-oiled machine. Um, and Megan, you had to go in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about that and I, I, during the Kevin Ollie era towards the end when things were really dark, uh, you know, I was going to a lot of games uh, with a bunch of people, usually with my dad or with other folks. But we'd get there early, watch, shoot around. And one thing my dad always said to me that always stuck out was he was like, look at look at them shooting. They're not making any shots. There's no shots going in. And I'm like, you know, they're they're not going 100 percent. They're not going game speed. My dad but and now, I did the exact same yeah, thing because now, now watching you watching the, the warm ups. right now you go to the games they don't miss and it makes sense this is a higher level of basketball like same thing with with nba guys right like unguarded they're making eight out of ten nine out of ten shots uh and it's closer to that level of basketball than five years ago so it's just like little stuff like that really speaks to the culture that hurley is kind of instilled and i feel like we're seeing that go to the next level now because there's been a lot of games this season that Yukon probably loses last year or two years ago and definitely, you know, five or six or seven years ago. Um, and instead they're just gutting it out and sticking to their plans, sticking to their offense, getting quality looks and and making stops and and pulling out games that they really have no business winning sometimes. Um and it's just really impressive. It's it's just really unbelievable to see. Like
1: that's it's amazing how they 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 went into the portal or in transitioned these guys to like um, have zero fall off from what the team was. Um, Hassan and or, or just banked on the development. We need to talk a lot about Hassan Diara and, and what he's done for that bench. He's sing again single handedly started, I think, UConn's only kill shot, uh, at, at, during the Butler game in the first half. Uh, and, and Aman, you pointed to it earlier, but like they're not blowing teams out, they're winning very tough, physical, hard battles in the big East that they were losing last year. And so there's growth and, you know, improvement from that. But at the same time, if you, if, if you want to get into like a, a shootout, they've, they've got that too. So winning in so many different ways with, with this roster. And, and I know that's been talked about a lot, but it, it does need to get a little bit more of a mention.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also just that, this this thesis the the one that they came into the beginning of this year with it's just it's it's working out it's paying off and it's uh just working better than it better than expected even my only complaint is that at this point it's starting to ruin the rest of college basketball for me i i have significantly decreased interest in watching almost anyone and and you know i tried at, the, at in earlier parts of the season like oh illinois they're highly ranked let me check out a game just to see what What's going on at the time? And I was just like, oh, this stuff is hideous. And so mm, you don't want to touch Illinois. Yeah, I know that was maybe like a, a very random example. I was thinking of like the Marquette Illinois game at the or very early part of the season. But in all seriousness, no one is scary in the rest of the country. And even within the big east, it's kind of like a like powering through the toughest part of its schedule, but that means merely winning by nine to eleven points. Uh I think the, you know, something that Hurley says and something we saw in the non-conference portion of the schedule, UConn is rocking teams out of conference when it's not Big East refs and Big East play. And so, um, I mean, I think it's one of those scenarios where the Big East is a grind that prepares you, something that we say a lot. But I think that's true in a very specific way about, like, playing style. And I think that stuff just is going to open up for UConn and the whole roster by that point. But already, like we're saying, they've just set themselves up so well uh, here as we hit this home stretch of the season.
2: This group, I remember we did our preseason expectations pod for the Big East, and we, I feel like we kind of handled it as best we could. Collectively, we may have been, or me personally, may have been a little too high on um, Marquette, but I think all the question marks uh, around this team were answered pretty reasonably just because all the players that needed to step up and like be major contributors and had those question marks have really done that. I mean, I, I can't really think of anyone that hasn't delivered. Um, Hassan well, Diara has just been unbelievable. Like everyone's taken a major step forward and that just, you can't really expect that to happen <laughs> on a year in year out basis.
1: And if someone like Tristan Newton doesn't deliver for a game, um, or Castle doesn't, and you know, I'm thinking of Caribbean Castle and, and Newton in the most recent game against Butler, I think they combined for like 12 points between the three of them. And in steps and cling in Klingon with his best statistical output of the year, and Cam Spencer has his second straight 20 point game. Um, so th- there you can afford someone to have an off night, and someone else is going to have that. And the odds of all five of those that that you starting unit, which are all ranked like top 50 in Evan Maya, like Cam Spencer is the highest ranked, fifth best player, whatever metric that was. Um I mean there's just there's no chance that a team can shut down all five of them. And then you factor in what Hassan Diar brings and Jalen Stewart looks pretty good and Samson Johnson is still a rim threat. I mean there's there, there's so many ways that you can beat them uh, or that they can beat you. And I mean, I think the, the 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 word is getting out too about like the Big Twelve with how you know they play very soft non-conference schedules and then beat each other up and then they're they get exposed in, in March. Um, and we saw last year how well UConn adapted to non-Big East uh, physicality. And there's a chance that 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 same script plays out again, where you see a team that's very tough on paper. And say, well, no. If if James Breeding is off the whistle, then they're going to be fine.
0: I'll also just say the you know the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for the way that they are keeping the players motivated. Uh, you, if you watch them on the sideline <laughs> during the Xavier game, during the Butler game, you know any game where they've been up by a lot, you could not tell by watching the coaching staff at all. And I think that's part of you know like dan hurley's a little bit of his special sauce is finding those ways to keep players motivated i think i think they found a way to make the number one ranking a motivator i think they found a way to make gunning for the big east regular season crown uh you know something that they go for and then for even individual players just kind of proving that they can do the things that they all they all think and say that they can do uh especially when they get an opportunity or an increased opportunity when someone's hurt. Uh, So I think, you know, what we've seen in that kind of scenario where players have had the opportunity to step up uh, thinking about, you know, Stefan Castle most recently uh, really emerging as a, as a scoring threat uh, in addition to what he brings defensively. And then again, the upside for someone like a Diara to continue to flourish or a solo ball, and Jalen Stewart to continue to advance their game. Hurley said he wants the rotation up to nine by by the end of the season. And I do think he'll get there. And it's a matter of, you know, Ball and Stewart getting more minutes. But then again, it's just uh again, the team becomes that much, much tougher to play.
1: I think there's gonna be a massive game from one of Samson Johnson, solo ball, or Jalen Stewart in this next little mini cupcake stretch until Marquette. Um, they're going to get a lot of minutes. Jalen Stewart's already the first guy off the bench in the first half. Hurley has a tendency to tighten the rotation in the second half, especially against Butler. I mean, Butler, give them credit. They never went away. In the second half, there was never like a, a run more than like five points. It just went from being five and 10 and five and 10. You can't blame Hurley for, you know, sticking with his guys and, and seeing that game out. Most likely, the Georgetown and DePaul games are going to be over by the half. So then, give give Jalen Stewart minutes instead of being the the fifth guy that's setting screens and maybe gets an opportunistic basket. See what you can run with him, because if if he's confident in attacking downhill, if solo ball uh, has you know has sh- his shot back and is doing his best Naheem Malim impression, those are just guys that can that can turn a game when they're thrown out there for five or ten minutes in March and. You know the same way that UConn's second unit overwhelmed people last year. Uh, we're looking at another repeat of that.
2: Yeah, I I think Stewart has really been impressive as of late. Like it's been limited minutes at times. Um, Ball has been really good too. I mean, he was really in the doghouse for all of January and came off the bench when the game was not as big of a blowout as it ended up being, and had double digit points and looked like he was in the rotation um, for the whole season. You wouldn't have known. Um, if, if you didn't look at the box scores or his game log. So I definitely think this team can benefit from getting a little deeper um, just because there is going to be a night where two or three of these guys may not be able to put it together. And whether that's, you know, Marquette on the road or uh, Providence on the road or or sometime during the NCAA tournament, like there's going to be some, some, times where some guys that haven't been scoring a lot may have to get leaned on to, to score a bucket. But yeah, man, I I just am constantly blown away by the coaching staff. And I feel like whatever Dan Hurley was doing last year has been like transferred to Luke Murray in like a freaky Friday situation, because you would think that you kind of down. 20 I, confused, or 30.
1: I confused the two one time because he was all all the way out on the court and you just see some kind of bald looking dude screaming at someone and like, no, Hurley's over there chilling in the corner. It was Luke Murray going off.
2: Yeah, I mean, solo ball missed a defensive assignment in the Xavier game, I, I believe. And it was, you know, they were up 35 at that point or whatever. And I thought Murray was going to have an aneurysm. Like, he he's just going insane. And um that level of intensity and maintaining that edge, uh, I think, has a lot of benefits for this team. And I think that's why those guys like Hassan Diara, Ball, Stewart, and Johnson are able to come off the bench and kind of hit the ground running and contribute right away because they're walking through what their role is going to be exactly what they need to do. And they know that if they don't bring that energy that the coaches are bringing, that the starters are bringing, they're going to hear about it and they might not get to, you know, see the court again after. I've got a question for you guys. Um, You know, after
1: UConn won the national championship, a lot of people thought, okay, is this the, the time that Kamani and Luke go get head coaching jobs? Do you think that, those two had any idea or at least an inkling or, or maybe a, a chance that this team was going to be such a wagon that they would say that they were essentially going to double down and, and say, okay, well that team won, but we really have a, you know, this historic team waiting in the wings potentially. Are we going to stick around for one more year? Cause I think they have now coached themselves up another level with the job that the staff
2: has done this year? I would probably say no. And the only reason I would say that is because the cam Spencer transfer, like that last transfer that came in kind of happened late and like towards the end of the coaching carousel. Um, That's a good point. I think Spencer coming in uh, and, and you know, the staff getting their hands on him and seeing what he can do. I imagine that changed the internal expectations greatly because The reliance goes on someone from you know solo ball playing 25 minutes a game to somebody who already played a year in the Big Ten, put up numbers in the Big Ten, uh, and could show that he fit the most glaring weakness on this team prior to Spencer coming along, which was three-point shooting. Um, I imagine that changed a lot of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear the story one day, maybe years from now, when Kamani and and Luke had their own programs about what went down this offseason because – I I don't understand truly how they're both still here. I think it's probably a little bit of recruiting from Hurley to kind of say, like, look, I don't know what's going to happen yet, but we do have a good thing going. Like, let's do one more year, two more years, whatever. Try and get one of you guys a much better job than what's out there right now. So um, I I still don't really understand it, but I, I think it's just one of those things where everything fell together and the timing was right. But I don't think anyone expected this after they cut down the Nets last year.
0: I'll say just to, just to add some flavor to that. I I kind of mostly agree with Madigan. Um, But I, I do think, again, if you think about what was the, what was the five-year plan? What was the three-year plan? I do think Donovan Klingon's sophomore year, you could think of that as something that they were building around for, since the beginning. There's that's, that's the right answer. And, um, I, and then I think, you know, as it relates to those guys individually taking a job, maybe if the right one did come around, they would have, but the right one did not. I also think they, you know, probably feel like they're in a situation where they can be uh, a little selective about which opportunities they take or or even pursue. Uh, so we'll see about that. But I will say, you know, it's kind of all been speculation uh, up until kind of recently this year. Hurley did after a game recently, I'm forgetting which one, I think it was the Xavier game. Um, he kind of specifically called them out. He, he talked about, you know, why is your team so great? Why do they stay motivated? He said, well, we kept a lot of, we kept you know, we kept our coaching staff intact. And he even said, there's no reason after this year, Luke Murray and Kamani Young should not be on every list for a head coaching job this offseason. So, uh, you know, Hurley's doing his job on many fronts there. He's doing the right thing. He's getting, his, he's getting his guys hired. We don't need to, you know, kind of worry about that there. But I think, you know, we, it feels like we've been saying it for three years. Uh, but I, I do think this is the year, this offseason, where someone uh, does end up leaving the coaching staff. But I think, you know, the, the experience of these last uh, 18 months should give us lots of confidence in Hurley, to be able to find the right person to fill that spot. There's lots of great basketball coaches out there. And again, one of Hurley's special talents is identifying people who have that dog within. And so I think, you know, having an opening on the staff, as long as it's not Tom Moore leaving, because uh, he's more of a, you know, important spiritual guide there. Uh, but I think if it's if it's um, Luke Murray or Kamani Young leaving for a head coaching job, uh, that's another great success story around around the UConn program.
1: I can definitely see a world where it's like the Sean McVay coaching tree or the the, the Shanny coaching tree, like in the like NFL. Like, oh, he coached with he coached with Sean McVay. Oh, we got to have him because all sports are copycat leagues. It doesn't matter what league it is. Uh, people are gonna try to get what like Dan Hurley and they're gonna install that culture. Try to find that guy. I also think Hurley gets some credit. I think he empowers and imbues his assistants with more roles and responsibilities because they're so experienced than most other assistants. i I I don't know if that's just my own, you know, tinted glasses, but I see them working so much more than other assistants that are just kind of holding the clipboard. Whisper a couple things to the coach. Hold back someone if they're mad. I I just see them so much more active and involved in development, going to different guys. I mean, it's it's like watching like worker bees just running around there in the huddle, talking to different players, making sure everyone knows what to do. You know, Samson always goes to Kamani, and you know Luke always goes to who. You know, there's all these tasks. I just don't really see that activity from a lot of the other coaching staffs of these of games I'm watching. And I give credit to Hurley for that. If it's just saying like, you know, if you, another reason why I think whoever he brings in, that's a very attracting point is like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, work with you, not just have you give me like stats and say, Oh, this guy's got three fouls. I'm going to actually like let you coach a little bit.
0: Yeah. and, And, you know, I think also to your point, Patrick, about like letting them coach, Uh, a lot of assistants end up just being very pure recruiters. And, um, you know, I know Murray and Young both contribute greatly on that front. But also very clearly, that is not the only aspect of their jobs. I, you know, obviously one of them is working with the big men extensively. I believe one of them is working uh, on managing the analytics, uh, you know, kind of aspect of it where, I think you can hear it in Hurley's interviews some a place where he's really advanced his thinking. And with respect to Dan Hurley, a uh, point that we have not yet really fully um, just put out in the world. Uh, some other folks have said it, and we are we're hovering around it, talking about how good this team is and everyone that's doing a good job and the development wins that that lead to this, Dan Hurley making the his case, as the best coach in the game right now uh you know like i think we're approaching a point and again i'm we're trying not to have the glasses here but we're approaching a point here where it says yeah if you're talking about who do you want to to lead your program and you're you're you know you're uh you got a t boone pickens style billionaire and you just took over a you just took over a power six program who would you you know who would you poach to be your head coach I'd have to imagine the answers Dan Hurley, and I'm not even sure how many other guys would be in consideration. Uh, I'd be interested to hear some of your thoughts on on who the rest of the list would be. But anyway, I just you know, Kenny Payne about Dan Hurley, possible best coach in the country.
1: What Give me Kenny Payne. Give me Kenny Payne. Okay. Put me on the pain train.
2: I think this is kind of an outdated answer, but I was riding the must bus for a while. I was a big fan of what he was doing. No, um, he's fallen off a little bit, but no. he, he, I thought he could coach a little bit. I like I mu-
0: like the
1: must, game. The must bus is broken down. They're calling AAA right now.
0: Yeah. the The only other thing is to kind of go with like lifetime achievement award kind of situation, Be like oh Bill Self, you know, or something like that. But nobody's picking Bill Self. You know, like nobody. Oh, oh, you're winning with all of the resources and uh easy conference to win year in and year out. Like no, no one has a ton of respect for like the job that bill self is doing. It's a, it's a good situation to come into. I'm, I'm saying, versus like I, I, Hurley where he took over UConn.
1: I do think some neutrals though, will, would put that same exception for Hurley with like, Oh, well, you guys got into the big East and you're UConn. Like everyone wants to go there. Like you guys, have all this, you know, you're, you're only, you're a basketball school. I know that's going to upset some people, but like, you know, you're, that's the priority there. Uh, so like you, from what (laughs) talking to the neutrals, a lot of them, when I'm, you know, when it comes up, they're saying like, well, you guys were always going to get back to this level. Once you got back to the big East, it doesn't matter who now did Hurley expedite the process a thousand percent. Um, but, That's what some people are saying that don't have like a UConn bias that are like, well, it's like, you know, you can put anyone in charge of that and it would still eventually become a wagon. I don't buy that because I've we've seen like you said, like we've seen him evolve. We remember New Mexico State. I think that would be a great T-shirt, by the way. We remember New Mexico State, Um, but he, he has adapted to the game so well. And I think he's almost kind of humbled himself a little bit. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's a tricky question. I,
0: I I have some response to that. I mean, you know, first it's not obvious that UConn would come back. Um, I think a lot of people were very ready to throw dirt on the UConn program and call it, you know, the future Holy Cross or university of San Francisco, you know, famous Georgetown 1948, you know, national championship. Yeah. Or, or Georgetown, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of programs that go away um, without even having a conference downgrade the way that UConn did. And then coming back to the Big East, we all know that this Big East is not the same as the old Big East. Uh, certainly is a much better situation for UConn than the AAC. Nobody's arguing that. However, it also does not have the same kind of like Big Monday. It doesn't have the the larger brands associated with the old Big East like Notre Dame, Syracuse Pitt um and i think you know the resources conversation again like to talk about kansas or north carolina right those are schools that make the p5 football money and prioritize basketball right that's the dream is to be having that you know p5 football money 10 times as much as any other school outside of the p5 is making and be able to do that stuff i think something we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is schools like Auburn, you know, just like come up and be good. Alabama uh, must at, at Arkansas. I know Arkansas has had some good runs in the past. Nate, you know,
1: we... Nate, Nate Oates is a, a short lister on who yeah. I would
2: want to to build a program, regardless of all that, of everything that you're saying. I know we were talking about, you know, who you would want if to start a new program. And, you know, we said Hurley's at the top of this list, but Maybe it's just me. I'm in a bubble. But I really haven't heard anything about Dan Hurley as, you know, in that coach of the year buzz. And I feel like we're getting to a point where it's well-deserved. You know, assuming that UConn can win on, can beat Georgetown. It's going to be five weeks as number one team in the country. Beat the brakes off of some some really good teams in the non-conference. Um, just surprised that I really haven't heard anything about that kind of hype train just yet. I think it's because uh, Lamont Paris
1: is doing some crazy, crazy shit down in South Carolina. I mean, they're twenty and three, and you know that's that's insane for a school like South Carolina. They were not supposed to be that good. I'm looking up their preseason rankings now. Um, I think the Coach of the Year stuff tends to go towards the the teams, excuse me, that like they're not getting a lot of preseason love, and they force themselves into the top 15 top 25 that is like that catches the eye more than like a, okay what was UConn preseason six seven something like that maybe eight um and it's like okay now they turned into a wagon that doesn't generate as as much as clicks I think then is like wow look at the job Lamont Paris has done like they just beat Kentucky they just beat Tennessee like they're, they're still rolling they I think that's That took a little luster off of Hurley. Um, If those teams weren't breaking out, I think, yeah, he would be in the conversation.
0: And I think, you know, like when they when the people will make their list, you know, like five candidates for the coach of the year award, maybe Hurley ends up on some of those. But, yeah, I mean, I think just to your point, they really do tend to give it to someone who does like a significant improvement.
1: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. South Carolina was predicted to finish last in the SEC.
0: Yeah. And they just, they're not going to give the guy who coached the reigning national champs, you know, coach of the year, the next year. It's just not, doesn't seem super likely, but. No, I it's agree. happened
2: before. Gina, oh. Gino, Gino, <laughs> Gino's won it three years in a row, two years in a row, multiple Gino times. It, it's a fair times. point. Yeah. It's a very fair point, but I just feel like, you know, Matt Painter and Purdue. Uh, you know, they're doing the same same stuff as usual. And I feel like I've seen more buzz about what Matt Painter is doing, what Kelvin Sampson is doing than what Dan Hurley is doing. And that just seems weird to me. But, you know, it is much bigger than just who's at the top of the AP poll right now. So that's that's totally fair.
1: What are we thinking about the Big East? This is as far as like a conference in general. I've got a lot, the the neutrals are, are dragging the conference and I don't want to be the guy that like, Oh, well actually they're this and that, even though it's, they have five teams or six teams in the Ken Palm top 50. Um, there's, you know, a lot of these teams that are on the bubble could play their way into the bubble in the coming, uh, coming weeks. Marquette, as much as we like to dog them, they're still a top 10 team, um, it's it's I think it's an interesting league. It's it's not getting enough credit nationally. Um but like I was not expecting Xavier to write the ship. I was not expecting Butler to write the ship. Um Villanova, who, who knows? I mean, <laughs> might need to poke them with a the stick, but um Seton Creighton Hall, will man. always be there. Seton Hall, Kadari Richmond's back and Gives should give every UConn fan a nightmare. Um, Providence, incredibly spunky. I really, really am bullish on Kim English. I love the job that he's done. I think he's going to be an absolute nightmare in the Northeast. Uh, in in a year or two. Um, so like, yeah, there's like a lot of you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines as we're entering the last month, um, and two months and. I don't want to sound like a conference stand, but it is better than what people are saying. You know, I had casuals like, oh, Butler sucks. How'd you beat Butler by nine? Like, of course you you take that spread of 15. Like it's UConn. It's like, no, actually, you know, Thad Matta is coaching his ass off up there.
0: And this is why there are no neutrals who make tons of money gambling on sports, uh, actually. So that's something that maybe you should consider. Uh, any neutrals listening, uh, maybe avoid gambling on sports. Um, the guys in Vegas... Do quite a bit of homework, and tend to be pretty good at, at making money by getting you to bet on spreads. Uh, I I I agree that it's better than what the records indicate. The Ken Palm indicates that they are good, uh, which tends to be right. Tends to even out over time, and yeah, I mean, I think. The you know, the story for UConn obviously is about holding on to this top spot and maintaining the pole position after this stretch, which we mentioned earlier, this this enjoyable stretch at Georgetown at DePaul. The rest of the schedule is almost as close as you can get to kind of one of those old school big east. Every game is a every game is part of the gauntlet. Um, you know, this year you get four games against Georgetown and DePaul and you're getting a handful of coaches in their first season. Uh, I totally agree with you about Kim English and Providence, by the way. I I left to press conference just being like, that guy is very smart. Uh, that that guy is thinking about all of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, big but, Kim,
0: Kim but English. Really guy. everyone, you know, like re- really everyone. Shaheen Ali, right? Really great coach. Um, And then for Butler and Xavier to have hired who they have, um, those guys are all in their second year. So I, you know, I think, um, there's going to be upside for all those programs, but anyway, after Georgetown and DePaul, Providence
1: U- beat, like, sorry, Providence beat Creighton today. Just saw that come across the wire.
0: Nice. Hey, that's good. Good for Providence. Um, so after, after that Georgetown and DePaul stretch, UConn has that huge home game Saturday, February 17th, XL center. I believe it's a 3 p.m. Uh, tip-off on that. Uh, so that's going to be a huge game. then they go to Creighton, which I could see being close, just a tough place to play, uh, all that. Hosting Villanova, night game at Gampel. Uh, obviously, Villanova played them really close early on, should be – should well, you know, we'll see which Villanova shows. Have no out.
1: no idea what to think, make of Villanova. They didn't like, even can't, get
0: – Can't overlook them.
1: They didn't even get a shot off to end the Xavier game uh, uh, to win it. It, it. That was classic Kevin Alley.
2: <laughs> One of the worst possessions I've seen, like in a late game situation, in a long. Oh my time. god! Really bad, really bad.
0: And then they're hosting Seton Hall. We're now into March. Uh, hosting Seton Hall, you know, you don't want to be swept by a team. That's a big deal. You want to cop that win at home. Right now, the Huskies are projected on Ken Palm to win that by 13. I'm anticipating it to be closer than that. Then they end the season with two road games at Marquette, at Providence. Both of those games will be really tough. And I think just in terms of this six-game stretch, I know UConn's won 11 in a row. They're probably about to be at 13 in a row, but I I could see multiple losses in this, in this six game stretch. Uh, I could even see three, Uh, you know, none of it is too disastrous. In fact, they could lose three and still probably win the big East regular season. But, um, you know, I think fans should be girding themselves for a potential loss in that stretch. I think um, just something that's likely likely to happen.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of tough road games left on that schedule. Um, Creighton, Really hard to play at. I feel like that's a really, really good environment. Like twenty thousand crazy Nebraskan fans just going nuts. Um, yes. Yeah, somehow and,
0: Butler
1: won there. That's that's weird. Yeah,
2: but it's a good win from Butler. Um, and Providence at the Amp is just brutal. Like they're just they're really hard to be. I don't know what the the home you know win loss record is, but I know it's very good. Um, and they they just play up in that building. Um, we've seen some really good home court advantages. Uh, from other teams that UConn's played this year. And um, that's that's not a guarantee. The plan, I imagine, is to wrap the conference up so that Marquette game or that Providence game doesn't matter. And you, the number one seed is secured heading into the tournament. But at the same time, you don't want to head into tournament play, you know, one-and-done play with back-to-back losses or, or two really tough games on the road. So it's a tough schedule, but... Um, yeah, I mean the the way that UConn's playing right now, if they if they continue to handle teams like they have been, those late games that are a little hairy may become less and less important pretty rapidly.
1: I think we should get out ahead of the narrative if UConn does drop those last two games of like, oh, UConn, like they're they're you know, they fell off a little bit. They're not that good, or they've only they've lost three out of their last four games or something like that. You know that's coming. It's you know, it's a what have you done for me lately uh, narrative and that's going to be a thing. They're like, oh, well, they're going to be struggling and I'm really interested to see how they will respond to that because I see. I see three losses there potentially. I think this team is an absolute wagon, but at the same time, those are three incredibly good teams and incredibly hard road environments and. Beyond the Xavier game, um, they've played with their food a little bit here and there. You know, the Providence game was a little dicey and just an ugly game in general. Um, They really, you know, they struggled in some areas with Butler that that Hurley talked upon, you know, as far as rebounding margin and confident shooting. But I think that's going to come back to them. So how they respond to a couple of those losses will set the expectations for the, you know, the, the postseason.
0: It's going to be weird thinking of the possibility that they head into like the final one or two games of the season. And we're talking about like a week 17 NFL situation where may you know, maybe like maybe the start entire starting lineup is switched out. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how they would approach something like that. Where Hurley
1: he... is not, I don't right. think he's,
0: no. That's what I was getting towards. is That I don't think Dan Hurley is is like that. However, it's 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 only human nature, I think, to to be like having less to play for, and acting
1: and like. and I w- I was going to mention this earlier. Does anyone else like with how sick this team is? Like almost watch it with like like a like one. I like almost wincing of like when Tristan Newton went down when caravan rolled his ankle um you know you, you you're you're seeing and projecting the future so much when you're looking at the 11 game win streak and all all the wins in the last year um and you're looking at like every time Donovan Klingon dives on the <laughs> dives on the floor and he's diving on the floor a lot uh you're just kind of like bracing yourself like that's almost robbed me of some enjoyment of watching them with like okay if someone if they were a top 15 team like or you know like they were last year it's like okay someone got hurt all right whatever like you know probably weren't gonna win or something like that um with this it's like with all these ex- expectations that are being layered on of like oh, it's it's uconn and then everyone else every like knock gets amplified and put under a micro, you know a microscope to the point that like i you know Hurley's not going to do anything like that, but man, it's like almost like you wish he could find a way to thread the needle of say like maybe play the freshman a little bit more and get them some seasoning or maybe get put clinging on a minutes restriction or something like that. Like play your ass off. Obviously, you want to win and help your overall seeding, but man, it's just like I, watching some of these games and seeing Newton go down. It's like I, it's like, oh, it's over. It's it's the classic. Oh, it's over. Nope, we're back. It's So <laughs> over. Nope, we're back. Um, and I feel like that's dialed up to eleven this year.
0: It's a tough situation. I think it's one of those. If someone gets hurt playing in that, so people are going to say, "Oh, why wasn't that individual sitting or or whatever?" But at the same time, you can't just like sit a starter for a week of the regular season in March. No, no, no. no this isn't kind of like no. pick up. Um, the challenge—that's the challenge with injuries. I mean, obviously, they can have an impact on the game. And let's take a scenario like Alex caravan right? Has a you know a twist an ankle. Do you think? Do you th- you know? And then he returned after missing one game, right? He probably played through some pain and and helped out the Butler game. You know, if 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 it's the last game of the season at Providence and Alex Caravan just twisted an ankle does he play in that last game? You know, no, he, he probably shouldn't. Uh, So I I think that's where they will have to be smart in that situation. If they are able to earn that situation for themselves, do coaching, you know, do strategy, make, make that work out the best way possible for you. Um, But you can't be worried about injuries, obviously, because that's just, just something that happens. I think the bigger thing is like, what is that thing that they find to motivate themselves later in the season that thing is going to have to be NCAA tournament seeding, getting a one seed, possibly being the number one overall seed in the bracket. I know those typically don't bode well for your tournament performance, but they also don't have to be a kiss of death. So, uh, and yeah. again, I think those are accomplishments for the program.
1: I saw a lot of uh, Baylor 2021 talk about how like they won in 2020 and then they were the number one seed and they went out. A lot of people say like, Oh, hold your horses. You know, like they got to get to the tournament, blah, blah, blah. Um, So that, you know, yeah, that, that is a motivating factor. I just think Hurley has recruited dudes that like, I mean, it, it, it's time to talk cam Spencer and how insane he is. Like dudes that like, you have just to say, well, like, Hey, they looked at you the wrong way. What are you going to do about it? And, there's, you know, hey, you know, we heard John Fanta talking shit about you or something. We're like, hey, they're they're making another documentary and it's about Yukon and how you suck, <laughs> and 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 they're just going to be, you know, frothing, and going crazy. I think Hurley has just created this like rabid environment where every, you know, inventing chips on your shoulder, you know, the classic, oh, I got a tattoo of a chip on my shoulder, like type of thing, that there will always be something to piss Hurley off. And I mean that in as the highest form of compliment ever, like he will always find a way to motivate that team. And with the guys he's recruited, it's, it's a trickle down effect.
2: Yeah. I keep thinking of the quote that Hurley said post game um, yesterday. Well, after the win over Butler, where he said that him and cam are the perfect marriage. And then he apologized to his, to his wife for saying that, but they really are just a perfect fit. And I think like, I I'm positive that Cam Spencer would be a good basketball player anywhere, but I'm also positive that no one is getting more out of him than Dan Hurley. Like the strides that cam has made on the defensive end is really unbelievable. Like he was an absolute liability, uh, for those first few games of the season. And I feel like he's really clamped down and, uh, been a really solid help defender gets into the passing lanes. Um, you know, he's never going to be clamping guys up, you know, like the Ryan Boatwrights or the uh, Andre Jackson's or Steph Castles of the world, but um, he's turned into a serviceable defender. And that allows him to be on the floor for the whole game or as long as he wants to. And that makes him a major offensive weapon. Um, And I think having guys like that who really embody kind of what Hurley is all about um, on the floor kind of eliminates, doesn't eliminate it entirely, but makes those letdowns, those random games where it's, you know, to Paul on a Wednesday night in Chicago, and there's 12 people in the building. Like UConn is less likely to lose those games because Dan Hurley, Cam Spencer, Luke Murray, Kamani Young are treating it like it's the biggest game in the season. I'll never forget the I think it was UNH game. Hurley was complaining about um you know the lack of fouls. They want to shoot some free throws to kind of run up the score a little bit, and it was you know something where game was already out of hand. The, these points do not matter, but he said. He was complaining because it it affects the seating, how, how, how badly they beat New Hampshire. And it's like, this is an almost meaningless game around Thanksgiving. Like, UConn is comfortably winning, but he still has that kind of bigger picture in mind of making sure that we're not, UConn's not only banking these wins, but banking them comfortably, easy victories, big, big margins of, of, uh, of victory to make sure that when it comes for March, UConn's in the mix for that number one overall seed or the one seed in the East region or, you know, the best possible seed that they can get.
0: And speaking what, of, wait, when, that, that would be his first NCAA tournament. What, what,
1: when Spencer committed, I, I rushed to his, cause that's my, that's my uh, superstition. I won't look up any recruits video until he commits. Cause I'm like, it's like, who cares? Uh, you know, Oh, this guy's really good. Let's go look at his video. And then he doesn't come here. Like who cares? It, that's a waste of seven minutes of my time but I did look up Cam Spencer's stuff after he committed and I'm going to have to revisit it because I don't remember him showing this much emotion and being as fiery and hearing all these stories about, well, like they're, they're his prior teammates are corroborating that now, but you didn't really see it on TV. And I really think that like Hurley, uh, like in the same way that he imbued his assistants with, you know, the freedom and flexibility to kind of, Coach different facets of the game. I think he's said like, Hey, like we want to see that emotion, like let it out like that. Like he's channeling that in a good way, Uh, almost to the point, like what he was celebrating and they threw him the ball at the Butler game and he wasn't there. And and, and Hurley was pissed at him. Um, Like that's like what Hurley has created is someone who can kind of like express themselves how they want to. And I, and I'm sure, I mean, So I'm sure Cam is just so excited for how this postseason is going to shake out because as Benetti was talking about, like this is a dude who hasn't sniffed the tournament, and now like the most hyper competitive person ever is about to enter postseason. I mean, I I can't wait. It's it's going to be like just electric.
0: I loved the the. It's a perfect marriage. Like me and Andrea (laughs) is just an amazing line to say about
1: completely deadpan to
0: player who transferred into your program. And then he said, he goes, my wife is going to hear this. And he looks straight forward. And he goes, it's just like us. He said it into the camera as if he was talking like directly to Andrea. But then, yeah, actually the more funny thing might've been uh, when, when we interviewed the players, Cam comes out and then is told about this. And it's just kind of like, uh yeah, so you know, we're a good team with a good culture, <laughs> you know. Like um, you know, it's like I, Dan Herning I don't, know said wh- I don't know life, what to say you know? here. <laughs> it's like someone sources close to this reporter say I have a crush on you. Care to comment? You know, it's like, uh okay, I'm not sure how to respond to that, but uh he handled it really well. Cam Cam probably has some some coaching in his future potentially as well. Do you think
1: do you think he gets uh Biggie's player
0: of the year recognition? Ooh, no. I, I um, I think there's a long list of people who they want to give it to besides Cam Spencer or anyone on UConn. I don't have any, you know, personal leaders in the clubhouse. I was kind of tooting the Tristan Newton horn for for a little bit, but um, and I mean, I think his his numbers still warrant a lot of that, a lot of uh, deserved credit. Um, I
1: definitely think first first sure. team is not out of the realm of possibilities.
0: Yeah. We just do you know, we've always felt that way. And then we always see like the, even the preseason teams were like, Oh man, how's like, wasn't Alex Caraban not on the preseason big East team? Or something? Yeah. You I know. I had looked
1: this up. It was uh, Alexander Kalkbrenner, Soriano, Justin Moore. Um, I mean, is that, is that five? I can't remember. Oh, and, um, and In Colic right. But, no, um, Colton Kolic yeah, not Klingon. Uh, so,
2: yeah,
0: so it's it, hard. This it, is
2: a small it, list. Yeah, yeah. I kind of get the Caravan thing. In in hi, like in hindsight, it looks dumb, but at the time, like, I don't know, Caravan was a – he was a complimentary player who shot, you know, 40% from three but didn't really do much else. Now he's rebounding. He's playing defense. He's scoring down low. He He's added so many dimensions to his game. Um, But I think it's something that we've talked about. I think last time we did the podcast – I just asked and maybe should have been more prepared, but I was like, who is the leading scorer now? Because it's changed so many times. The the offense is so balanced. I think that may unfortunately kind of eat into some of these guys getting the accolades and the recognition they deserve. Um Steph Castle will most likely win freshman of the year in the Big East, unless yeah. there's some guy on Villanova uh that, that can snake it out like what happened last year with uh with Cam Whitmore. But um other than that, I think it's really all up in the air. Um, but they're all deserving. There's there's four or five guys that are truly deserving of first or second team honors, and I think it'll probably only be two or three people that really earn it. Unfortunately,
0: and if I, uh, if Caravan doesn't get it, he does get the Dan Hurley uh, security blanket award, uh, which which you know Hurley was just on fire with the with the quotes on Tuesday night, but he said. Alex, he's like a security blanket, and I'm like Linus. He said, "I'm Linus, and he is my blanket." That uh, said about Alex Carabin. So I'm
1: probably dating myself, but that took me a second to like. Oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah. Got it, got it.
0: I had to look um, up how to spell Linus when I was tweeting that because I was like, oh man, there's got to be a hundred ways to spell this.
1: By the way, it's it's less of like a notable thing in college, but Cam is nearing um, fifty uh 40 90 club yeah percentage wise that's a a fun little thing we can start watching he's at 48.8 percent from the field right now clearing um
2: three by far and uh 90.6 free throws
0: yeah
2: and it's a lot of threes too like it's not like 80 attempts or 70 attempts like he has 142 three-point attempts Uh, he's got to be coming up or like around pace for what hawkins was doing Last year, I know Hawkins been a little buck wild uh, in in tournament play, but um, yeah, I mean, shout out Gonzaga. Yeah, he's just a pure shooter. I I mean, it's kind of typecasting him to just say that he's a shooter, but he is just really, really good from long range, and he has taken advantage of all those guys hedging out hard on him, cutting to the hoop, those little floaters in the mid range, uh, right inside the paint. So he's just got so many different ways to beat defenders. It's it's really fun to watch
0: he's yeah i would say he's a pure hooper you know like yeah he's just um you know he, he had a turnaround jay like on a power against a power forward against st john's where i was just you know like the, i was sitting next to a, a neutral reporter um and we were just like laughing you know it's was like i was like so he just did that you know it looks like again it looks like in that context you know where he's going up against like a six foot eight you know forward type of guy looks like a fan out there being like, all right, time to, you know, time to get up on this guy and get my hoop, get my bucket. Uh, But, but he does it and he does it constantly, right? He gets people to jump, the pump fake, creating space for himself, hitting that like short, that short range shot where he's just kind of like in space. um, He's he's the
1: most, he's the most lacrosse basketball player I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I was, because... I was also thinking like almost like a slot receiver, right? He's he's finding empty Ooh. spaces and, and oh. shooting them. I know, I know. What do you mean by that, Aman? Yeah. I mean he's deceptive. He's deceptive.
1: Are you saying like he... Wes Welker like or Chris Hogan, maybe?
0: There's a lot of Wes Welker uh or Cooper Cup potentially. A lot of Cooper Cup and Cam Spencer. He really
2: uh, is in total control though at all at all times. Like he really plays within himself. And uh I feel like a lot of the UConn offense is pretty good about that. Not necessarily sticking to a role, but just knowing their strengths and and kind of compounding on top of that and, and using that as an advantage at all times. I, um, I, he's just a really smart player. I had this thought yesterday that like,
1: yes, Hawkins is going to be an incredible NBA player, um, but he almost fits with Tristan Newton's skill set a little bit more and Alex, Alex Caribbean's skill set more because for his lights out of a shooter as Hawkins was before he went nuclear in the tournament. People were talking about like, Oh, well he, he his handle needs to be refined a little bit. And like, he, you know, he's kind of one dimensional and in, in everything. And Cam Spencer, you can see you kind of run more sets where they're putting the ball in his hands of saying like, make a play, make a decision as opposed to Hawkins where it was either shoot or drive. And he could do that because he's Jordan Hawkins but Cam Spencer has like a little bit more freedom to run things in the same. Like he helped keep Butler at bay, not with the scoring, but he had, I think three straight assists in the second half of that. Like Jordan Hawkins was more of a read and react type of guy that with what he was giving and Cam Spencer can kind of do that on his own.
0: Yeah. I'm not
1: saying that, that is- Not I'm not. And also I'm not saying that Cam Spencer is better or is going to be in the NBA or anything like that. I'm just saying as far as like, certain facets of the offense he's a better fit on this team right now
2: he's more balanced I think
0: yeah I think that's a really good point I mean you you can look at Hawkins role on the Huskies last year that was a that was an NBA player you know just on a on a good team Uh, whereas Cam Spencer is like a great shooter who is making the you know part of what makes the team great he kind of makes that makes that engine go and yeah, it's just different, you know. Again, it's not nothing's better or worse specifically uh, in that case. Uh, to me, like in the off season, the idea of someone like Cam Spencer being the replacement for Jordan Hawkins, I was like, why even talk like that? Just be like, Cam Spencer's a guard that they right. brought onto the team. The idea of him really being at this high level, um, again, it's it's exceeding expectations. Part of the theme, the theme of the podcast here, exceeding expectations. Cam Spencer's doing it, Dan Hurley's doing it. And so Nick, Tim-
1: Nick Timberlake is doing it.
0: Nick Timberlake is exceeding something. He's he's exceeding hmm, He's exceeding he, the limit on what Kansas wanted to spend on free agents this offseason. He's
1: exceeding social media vitriol. How about mm-hmm. that? I well, don't think he expected this many people to be mad at him.
0: I know. I, I honestly, well, yeah, you know my take on that, you know, about about anyone who got too caught up in the recruitment of a, of a guy right after they won the championship. You know, it's like, move on, move on. Um, but on those extremely positive notes about Cam Spencer and Nick Timberlake, we will close out the podcast. Thank you all for listening.